welcome to the Two Year Bible, a custom designed two year Bible reading plan and weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church. I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey, everybody. And we are in week six, uh, and we are picking up kind of mid Jacob's story. Uh, Jacob, who um, has not shown herself to be the most likable character so far in scripture right? Uh, and will continue to struggle with those same things. And so uh, as you read through, uh, you've, you've gotten to see the transition between Jacob and uh, eventually Joseph by the end of this week. But uh, we start with Jacob kind of um, having to return to his brother who, mm-hmm. when we left Esau, Esau wanted to kill him uh, and yet he's coming back. And so Jacob rightfully, I would assume fears Esau Um and there's sort of the question, all right, is Jacob is Jacob clicking? Like he has this great prayer in the middle of this chapter, uh, in chapter 32, but eventually you also see him go, okay, um, why don't I send Leah and some of the kids there out in front to go meet Esau, and then I'll send Rachel, and then I'll go, as if um, he's willing to sacrifice, but not quite. <laughs> he's willing to sacrifice the things that don't matter as much to him as other things. Right. He, he wants to get somewhere where he can be successful and fruitful and and prosperous and it wasn't working with Laban anymore because they were just trying to out trick one another. So he's going somewhere new, but his decisions from the past are kind of coming back at him as well. And he knows that there's a risk there. Um, But God keeps showing up and keeps affirming who he is to Jacob, even though Jacob has still not yet earned it. And he he won't, We, we don't earn God showing up to us, Right. but it's a tension to walk because he just continues to prove that he's not, He's not worthy of God's blessing, and yet God continues to give it to him. Yep, and and he gets to wrestle with him. He has this mm-hmm. moment where um, he's wrestling and, and says to this this person, and you kind of um, you're like, all right, who who is this? What's going on here? And he says, I won't go till you bless me. And um, God eventually renames Jacob here uh, to Israel. the The namesake for this whole people comes from this scene where Jacob wrestles with God. And it's interesting because Jacob will continue to wrestle with God through the rest of his life and um, has to be reminded of this renaming, has to be uh, told again, as we will see. But I don't know. There's a bit of me. I struggle with sometimes with skepticism and doubt and all those sort of things. That like, look, the the namesake of of the people of God is is the wrestler. It is the one who wrestled with God and um, finding some comfort in the midst of that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and I think we see with the name Israel and Jacob getting it, this this parallel to Israel's future. They are going to be a nation of people who are going to be seeking their own blessing and prosperity, but God is sovereignly going to be at work in Israel, and over and over and over again, they're going to find out that they cannot find blessing or prosperity without God's intervention. And so Jacob is putting himself in submission under uh, desiring a blessing from this individual, yep. uh, but but not without a limp that comes with it. Oh yeah, there'll be like a marker that that follows him around, kind of kind of how Cain, but Cain's was for the wrong reasons, and it seems like Jacob's was for the right. Mm, yeah. Um, and then Jacob finally meets Esau, and so we kind of get the resolution: Will this turn out okay? And it it does. Esau um, seems to 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 be willing to to work it out. Um, but then we see Jacob go, okay, go on ahead. And then Jacob goes, to a, a yeah, Jacob goes to a whole different direction. So uh, I don't, gosh, I still have a problem with, with Jacob a little bit and kind of what he does. Uh, it just doesn't always seem to follow where we expect him to go. Yeah, uh, but in, in verse 20, we see the first altar that Jacob builds. Up until now, he's built pillars, which are what they would do in other religions, right? But but altars are what his forefathers built to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some there's some nuance in the language there, and and Jacob doesn't 
call on the name of the Lord, which uh, Abraham does, right. Isaac does in the altars. But it's, it's hard to understand whether Jacob fully gets it or is willing to submit or willing to trust in the Lord. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, this is an opinion only, but I don't think he gets it yet. Yeah. I don't think he'll get it till we get later on in Genesis, but, but we see brief efforts here and there. And, and a lot of times it's for his own benefit. Like, Oh, this is what I'm going to supposed to do because I want this for me. But yeah. there's little acts of obedience, but again, praise the Lord that, that he doesn't bless us or speak to us or appoint us because of what we, because of earning it. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, and then we get um, a, a pretty dark chapter um, and almost a departure from the, the, the overall story of Jacob um, to, to get this, this defiling of Dinah, one of the daughters in the family. And um, it's, it's a tough chapter. Uh, she gets raped. Um, and then this collection of brothers come up with a whole scheme on how they were going to um, avenge. Yeah. And basically make these people... Um, kind of medically incapacitated uh, because of circumcision, make them weak uh, so that they can just destroy them uh, and then take all their stuff and, and head it out of town. So it, it's a tough passage if you were reading through it to interpret. Um, there's there's little sections I think that are nuanced, like things like um, they're, they're using circumcision, the, the sign of the covenant to the Abrahamic people. They're, they're almost using them as a, as a tactic to destroy them. They're not using it um, tied into the idea of blessing. Like this, this circumcision is tied into a covenant about blessing the nations and now they're using it so they can destroy these people. And and it's the opposite of what God desires from them. Um, so, yeah. And then we see Jacob based, handle it poorly through just being passive, not handling at all. Yeah. He and we see, Simeon, he doesn't even seem to care about that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he like, doesn't well, seem to at all. This is going to affect me. So why did you guys do that? And so, yeah. um, and then we see the opposite side of Simeon and Levi responding so violently and so aggressively that it's way over the top. And we'll read more about the consequences for that in Genesis 49. Yeah. And, um, and so Sarah, as, as a woman reading through a section like this, it would definitely be different sometimes than how a man, I, I don't read through it and put myself in Dinah's feet. Right. Shoes. And so how, how do you feel like you read that or as a woman that there's a unique way that you would see the story? I think as we read, no matter what, we're going to put ourselves in some sort of character role. And as we read scripture, we often put ourselves in the wrong position. We'll want to be David or uh, we see ourselves as Dinah. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with initially reading as the position or the person who was victimized. And I don't want to minimize the complete brutality of that. But we also have to step back for a second and look at what is the point of the story. And, you know, Chris and I talked about this for a long time before we jumped on the podcast. And and I think it's to show that that Jacob and his sons were not working to obey God in blessing nations, but they were bringing death and destruction to them and coming directly against God's covenant promise. And so there's something personal I feel about here, and I wish that they there was more Dinah in the story, but that also was not the author's intent in writing this down. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're we're going to see a law that forbids this sort of response that, that says, look, you have to respond in a right measured response, an eye for an eye, not a, you raped our sister, so we're just going to wipe you out as a people. Or just not um, care at all. Yeah, or not care at all and be passive. Like, there's there's justice, um, but there's measured justice. And so. Yeah, and this may have made you think a little bit of David um, and his son Amnon with his yeah. daughter Tamar. So we'll get there later, but, but think about that and remember this story because it's not the only time we're going to see this happen in the Bible. Yep. 
And, and it the, never works out well. Nope. Uh, but God blesses and renames Jacob again. Again. It's like he's still not getting it. And it's like, hey, you are Israel. <laughs> I'm, I'm driving this home. You are Israel. Um, and we get the deaths of Rachel uh, and Isaac. Um, so um, uh, some might argue that this is a little bit of a turning point for Jacob in the story. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. But um Maybe the thing that Jacob loves most is no longer on the scene. He does also now favor Jacob, Rachel's kids, but um, we'll deal with that when we get to the Joseph story. And then Esau's descendants. Right. I think it's interesting when, when you consider the story of two sons that we follow. We look at Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, uh, following two very different destinies and future paths. But they still receive blessings uh, from God because they're part of Abraham's line. I mean, yep. Cain and Abel are before Abraham, but yeah, yeah, and the wonder of of the younger the younger versus the older mm-hmm. in the storylines. Yeah, there's something parallels. Um, and then we get the Joseph story, and the the narrative like slows to a crawl here. It feels like um, mm-hmm. I mean, we cover a whole span of someone's life in the span of uh, just a couple chapters, but now we're going to get like the last quarter to a third of Genesis being about kind of Joseph's adulthood, and so. Because basically it starts the story at 17. Uh, and there's, there's a question for me sometimes of like, all right, do I really like Joseph or not? Um, he doesn't start too well for me. Uh, it, um, there's some wisdom of how much do I tell my brothers like, hey, I had a dream where all of you bow down to me. I just felt like sharing that with you. And so it's like, oh, come on, man. Like, that's not the smartest move in the world. And not only that, but he's already dad's favorite. Dad's giving him this coat. And it's definitely like um, designated him as a favorite maybe he's because treating him like the firstborn there, there's some weirdness to the story where i'm like ah, i just don't know if, how much i love joseph at least at this point in the story uh, i really like joseph <laughs> <laughs> i mean and, I'm, I'm not validating some of his decisions like to do that but he's also a 17 year old boy so true true uh, um, maybe yeah uh, the, the wisdom that would come is not quite there right yet. the prefrontal cortex is not fully <laughs> developed um, and, and I can't help but hear this, read the story and not think of, uh, some Andrew Lloyd Webber, but, um, the, uh, this, uh, but the story, uh, the, the, the family ends up back at Shechem, the very place where the rape of Dinah just took place. Um, so another tragedy amongst this family is happening out here, um, in Shechem and they, they decide to, to get rid of their brother and mad at him for all the dreams that he's telling them about. Um, they decide to do something about it and Ruben kind of steps in he seems like he's trying to act like the firstborn here and say hey um well let's not kill him i'll come back we'll take him out of the pit and then judah's like no let's make some money off this let's just sell him to some ishmaelites midianites as they come come by Um, yeah and let's not miss the lullaby effect of that they sold a 17 year old boy into slavery mm -hmm. that's wicked and awful (laughs) and terrible and should produce grief when we read that like we should feel sick about that yeah and and they're so callous about it like they put him in the in the hole and then while he's in the hole they're like and and they just had lunch they just kind of ate Right next to him while he's like, hey, down here. Um, it, yeah, it's just a, it's a crazy story. But he ends up in this household of a, a fairly wealthy Egyptian named Potiphar. Um, and, um, but before we get there, right, we find that break out in the story. And yeah, oh, then, yeah. then there's a sudden break um, where, oh, okay, we got some Joseph and then we get this break. And then we're going to go back to Joseph for a whole bunch of chapters. But uh, it feels like we leave the story and we find Judah. Um, and, and a story about Judah and Tamar, which is a super interesting part of the story. And, and on some level, I would argue it's, it's a picture of Judah's redemption because we're going to see Judah play a big part in the end of the Joseph story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it feels out of place, but there's some parallels to the previous chapter. Um, so Judah is the one who ends up um, kind of convincing the boys to, to sell off Joseph um, and, and go back to the father and say, basically, that our, your, our brother is dead. Um, and, and I wonder if he is now out of the household and out of Israel and kind of amongst the Canaanites uh, because his brothers were too fond of his decision there. Right. And when we read in verse one that he went down from his brothers, it basically means he left. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that caused a lot of tension that, that Judah really initiated the, the death of Joseph or at least the perceived death of Joseph. Um, and he ends up uh, with this Canaanite um, and um, his, his son marries Tamar, but his son uh, it's no longer there and now he should the next son in line should ultimately marry Tamar but he doesn't and, he, and the second one does but they both die right but but Judah's role is to to make sure that the, the, the right lineage happens yes and he doesn't do that and um and and there's an injustice and and a this this also this process the the sort of marrying on of brothers ensures that women don't end up in this widow destitute state and and it seems like Judah just doesn't care like that for for her to possibly be left right to suffer we see regularly judah's lack of value for human life Mm -hmm. in these stories um but i would argue that the story of redemption because there's there's some parallels in the story between um 37 and 38 where 37 they bring the coat to jacob and they say please identify whether this is your son's robe or not and he identified it and he said yes it is my son's robe a fierce animal has devoured him joseph was a without doubt torn to pieces and then 38 please identify these things this is what tamar does after she sort of tricks um um judah here it says please identify these things the signet and the cord and the staff and judah identified those like the exact same phrasing um identified them and says she is more righteous than i uh, since i did not give her to my son shayla and he did not know her again and so judah sort of has this moment where it's like like i've i feel like i've been here before and, and the previous time that this happened is because I did something terrible. And now it's being exposed to me again that I, that I, I screwed up. And he, and he seems to know, own it. It's right. like, she is the righteous one. I'm, I am not righteous. I did something terrible. Um, and he didn't know her again. He seems to change. Yeah. And let's remember that Judah is a line from which David comes and the line from which Jesus comes. Yep. And if Tamar, we're, we don't know for sure, but it's pretty likely she was a Canaanite. This is the first time we see someone from outside of Abraham's bloodline marrying into this family. Yeah. And not the last time. Nope. Definitely not the last time. And then we see, get back to Joseph. It's like we cut scene and head back to Egypt and uh, he's with uh, Potiphar. And he's doing well. Uh, he's helping to bring in some money. Um, he's he's helping to make this household successful. And so in some ways, there, there's a little bit of a, he's blessing the nations yeah. by being in this household in Egypt. Um, and it's almost held in contrast to the, the whole Shechem situation. It's like everything just went really poorly. Now it seems like things are going well. And he's doing his job faithfully. Right. We see four times in this chapter that the Lord was with Joseph. Um we see direct rejection of the prosperity gospel in verse 23. Um, and we know that the Lord was sent or that Joseph was sent to prison, but it still says that the Lord was with him and gave him favor. God yeah. being with you doesn't mean that everything always works out great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's even interesting as you read through Abraham, through Joseph, like the amount that God speaks and directs everything as a, as a f- kind of the forefront character continues to diminish. Um, where he, by Joseph's story, he really doesn't say anything. Um, we just kind of hear that, God's with him. God's there. That 
that and we even see at the end of the joseph story we'll see god or joseph reflect on it and being like look what you meant for evil god 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 used for good god worked it for good and so um that even in their circumstances and joseph's terrible circumstances that god is present god is there god is working so for for israelites in in slavery in in egypt like that that is good news to them they're like we are suffering we're crying out but but we're not removed from God. Right. And so let's jump to the New Testament. Okay. In Luke 9, where we get Peter's confession of Christ, which um, if you are reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, this is a bit of a turning point for all three Gospels of, of Peter's confession and then what kind of what happens uh, in the storyline after that, that there's really a, a move towards Jesus basically heading towards uh, Jerusalem in some ways uh, right around this time in, in all three gospels. And it's a straightforward question, I would argue, uh, but also the most important question I think that anybody can be asked is who do you say Jesus is? Like there's, there's right. no more important question I think out there. And uh, to ask, who do you say with your words, but then what does your heart say? What does your life reflect? Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think we see here, and then we'll see a story again later, that these things of, of God revealing himself happen right after prayer. Mm-hmm. So that's a challenge for us, too. When prayer is present, we will see and experience more of God. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Peter identifies him as 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 uh, the Messiah here. But um, there's a question of, okay, uh, but does he really get it? Because right after that, Jesus foretells his death and, and actually commands him to tell no one, um, which is um, a bit peculiar. It's like, Hey, uh, I know you understand what a Messiah looks like, but I don't think you understand what the, the suffering, the, the, the suffering servant Messiah, the fact that I have to die. I don't think you understand that yet. So don't tell anybody. Let's, let's keep this between you and me for the moment until you guys really understand what's at hand here. Yeah. yeah. Cause so when Peter says you're the Messiah, which means anointed one, or when you're the Christ, which means anointed one, Peter very likely is thinking of this ruler who's going to overthrow Rome and get Israel back for as like a political state rather than the full kingdom of heaven. Yeah. The king, the kingdom that's the king that's coming is coming to a very different kind of kingdom. I think than than these disciples are certainly expecting. Um, and then he tells him, look, you're going to have to take up a cross, which, I mean, what a shift. Hey, you're the Messiah. You're the king. You're, you're going to rule. You're going to take out Rome and stuff like that. No, I'm going to die by Rome. Like, this is, this is the Roman version of execution is this kind of barbaric, terrible form of public shame and punishment. And, and Jesus uses that to say, and he uses the word daily. So I don't think Jesus is necessarily, um, I, I think Jesus is using figurative words around the cross. He's not necessarily saying, hey, all of you are going to be crucified, um, even though we at least know Peter was. Uh, and, um, but I, I think he's saying, look, like what, what it looks like is that you will, you will never live until you walk to your death with Jesus. And, and, and so um, like this is going to cost you dearly even to the point of like your whole life which is why he goes into this contrasting language what 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 good is it to gain a whole world to save yourself um and kind of the opposite to to live a life that's ashamed of jesus and his words versus to lose your life to deny yourself to be unashamed of of jesus and his words it's really this this all-in kind of conversation um which is and we'll get that a lot throughout the rest of this section of Luke. Yeah, until he gets to Jerusalem. It's very much a conversation of like, look, it's all or nothing. Like, you're either about me or you're not. There's not a whole lot of neutral ground. Um, right. Which is, which is 
hard, I think, sometimes here. And I don't know if we take it as seriously as Jesus does. I mean, for us in, in modern American culture, we have the freedom to choose to follow Christ uh, without, for the most part, risk of our lives or any major loss. And yet I think of what this call must mean to, you know, a Muslim person living in Pakistan and the call to them to come and die might literally be to come and die. Yeah. We, we get to straddle the fence and, and in some ways that, you know, God has chosen that for this season and this time, but it also means that we can oftentimes end up as lukewarm or passive in our faith because we're not really sure what we're living for. Cause we have things to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, um, it's a it's a tough teaching, I would argue. I think sometimes we use it as um, quips in church, but what Jesus calls us to is hard and deep, but worth it. But um, it is a sum total of your life being changed in what what you live for. It's not self. It's not self gain. It's not your really anything but it's jesus and and being willing to see the whole world through those eyes yeah yeah um and then we get this transfiguration story which i mean you have a mountain you have a cloud descend on the mountain you have god speak you actually have jesus bring three people up with him there's there's all these word pictures that i think uh this moment is meant to harken back um to this whole mount sinai moment which we haven't gotten to in our reading but hopefully you're familiar with it um, exodus. yeah in exodus and so um yeah you have this sort of moment um and and it's interesting because uh I, I think sometimes we give peter a hard time for building these tents up there as if like peter just i think we interpret it as like oh it's a mountaintop moment and peter just wants to like freeze the mountaintop moment but i i wonder if peter's going well like we're at the mountain and now the next thing that happens is we build tabernacles and Jesus is like, let's, let's build some, or Peter's like, let's build some tabernacles. Um, still wasn't probably the right move. Um, but, um, but I, I think that might be more in his brain, which is probably not the worst thing in the world. Um, and then we have Moses and Elijah there. And most of the time it's like, why are those two there? Well, <clears throat> most of the time when you refer to the old Testament, you say the law and the prophets. Well, Moses certainly represents the law, and Elijah is one of the most representatives of the prophets. And so you have the testimonies of, of God's word standing there with Jesus. And only that, but then God says, this is my son, my chosen or beloved one, listen to him, which are three short phrases out of three different books of the scripture. One about the wisdom. So this is my son coming from Psalms. So, um, and, and coming out of the voice of God here. Um, then he quotes Isaiah and then he quotes Deuteronomy, Isaiah 42 and then Deuteronomy 18. And, and I think this is like this beautiful moment of, of, of Jesus or God confirming what what has been said about Jesus, confirming that Jesus really is who he says he is. It's like this this beautiful confirmation moment at the Sinai sort of reenactment of of who Jesus is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this I want I it makes me think about how I oftentimes view Jesus and I view him as a man and I view him as a human, but he is also God. And the more we understand who God is and who Jesus is and the distinction between holy, glorious God and who we are as people, the more um, we will, I guess, worship him accurately and find joy in knowing him. But it challenges me to really think when I approach Jesus, who am I approaching him as? Because he's more than just a human and he's also 
this person in shining clothes or like we see in Revelation <laughs> with a double-edged sword coming out of yeah. his mouth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's some uniqueness and, and we'll deal with that when, when Moses has his first encounter with God of like, all right, who am I interacting with here? And right. What does it look like to approach, right. to approach he, God? Yeah. He's terrifying. And, and I don't know what you think about this, but sometimes we encourage people to say what you want to God. He can take it and he can, but there's also a reverence in yeah. which we should approach the Holy of Holies. And so I don't know if like, it's, it's one of the many tensions I think of, of, um, of God, of, of how we are supposed to relate to God. So like, yeah, he's, he's, if you were a subject in the kingdom and he's the King, there's a reverence and stuff like that that you approach the throne at. But then, but then we're also told, but you're like a son, you're like a daughter. Like, so how would you talk to the King as a son or daughter? You'd maybe talk to it as a parent and not as a king. And so like, there's all these dynamics yeah. of how to relate. And um, and I guess we'll address some of that when we look at the l- Psalms of lament too. Yeah. Um, and I think there's both. I think, I think there's just a time for, for all those different things, but yeah. Moving um, on. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jesus comes down the mountain uh, with the, the three uh, fellas and uh, Jesus heals this boy or like they come down and <clears throat> this, this, father doesn't know what to do and the disciples aren't able to do things. And there's a bit of me wondering if there's a tie into the golden calf story and I'm struggling to, to pull that out, but maybe you as listeners can, can do a little more digging. Um, but it, it's, it feels like that's the next part of the story. This is the Exodus story, but maybe not. Um, but there's something going on where the disciples can't do it. And Jesus seems very frustrated <laughs> and quotes from Deuteronomy 32 here to, to just, say uh, what a what a frustrating generation that they, this Faithless group is and twisted yeah um and so uh, but let's let's keep moving forward it's just another healing um, in some ways jesus and, tells us about his death yep. again yeah it's the second time in this chapter yep and so he he just got re- glorified on the mountain now he's reminding him again look i'm going to die um this is not a, a position of me taking on this earthly throne and earthly kingdom, which is why that much more of a struggle when they come, well, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Jesus, like, you just don't get it. Um, and it's a struggle. Uh, uh, Spurgeon says he, he, he spoke of his abasement. So Jesus spoke of the fact he's going to have to die, but they thought of their advancement. The disciples thought of their advancement and that at the same time. And sometimes our struggle with those truths of like, Jesus says these things, but then I immediately turn around and be like, well, what about this? And, and Jesus like, no, I, I just told you <laughs> like, um, these things, uh, these truths about who I am, what my kingdom is like and, and my inconsistency, just like the disciples understanding that. So we've seen Jesus at the transfiguration. He's healed somebody. He foretells his death. And so the natural response for the disciples is going to be to figure out who's the greatest, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, if you're going to be taking your throne, Jesus, and you're going to be this Messiah, what, uh, who's going to be kind of sitting up there with you um, in what position? And so, um, and then uh, we get the story of, of a, 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 another uh, disciple somewhere else that that is not part of the inner crew doing some healings which if you're disciples who just had a story where you couldn't do you couldn't drive out the demons and yet you're hearing that somebody else is doing it um they're sort of like hey jesus what's going on here and um and it's interesting and it's interesting of like 
because Jesus will say something a little later in Luke that feels a little bit almost like the opposite. But I wonder if this is similar to, to Paul. Uh, Paul and Philippians 1 says um, they saw many men preaching Christ from many motives, some of them even evil motives, yet he could rejoice that Christ was being preached. And I wonder if this is a little bit of that, of look, like there's some generosity. It doesn't mean that the person's doctrine is all right. It doesn't mean that they're following totally how I want them to follow, but <clears throat> have some generosity um, towards towards those that maybe brothers and sisters. Yeah, and that's a good word for certain you know, reformed evangelicals these days as well. Yeah, uh, sometimes it's 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 pitchforks and torches and um, I don't know if Jesus would always approach things like that. Not to say doctrine doesn't matter, no. not to say Paul doesn't fight to tooth and nail sometimes to to make sure doctrine matters, but um, there's some generosity as well. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus uh sets his face towards Jerusalem, uh, a definite from this point on, the narrative is focused on Jesus getting to uh, Passion Week, to, to Easter. Um, but uh, he passes through a Samaritan village that um, seems to reject him as well. As much as Jesus is teaching about the rejection of of the people up in, up in, in Galilee, the Samaritans do as well. Yeah. Um, and so it's worthwhile to look up Samaritan people and, and who they were and, and kind of their history uh, because Luke definitely has a highlighted place for the Samaritans. Um, and then the cost of following Jesus again. <clears throat> so we find out, yeah, it's, it's once again, this is holistic understanding of life. You can't be too minded. You can't look one way and then go the other. And, and, and if you were to do that, it, it doesn't turn out well. Like, um, if you were plowing a field and you look behind you, guess what? You're, you're not going to plow straight. You're not going to live as, as you should. And, and, um, and for us to be single minded and focused and understand that yeah, following and, Jesus is a whole. And compare thing. that to what we just read about the Samaritan village when it talks about how Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Yeah. He did not turn back from the plow. Yeah. He set his face and we're called to set our face to Jesus and, and to do that. Um, and then Jesus says out the 72, uh, or 70 depends on which translation you have and um, which manuscripts they use. It's about a, a coin flip of whether it should be 70 or 72. That's a longer story. Um, but uh, these disciples are being sent out to towns and, and, and it's the towns where um, basically like, Hey, like if people show you hospitality, if you show up there and people welcome you and there's a person of peace, uh, there, there's probably an understanding that that person is is following what God has said is living how they should. And and that's why I think there's even the, the, the mention of, of Sodom here, because when the people showed up to town in Sodom, the, the two angels, it did not go well. Right. <laughs> and, and the, the people, of the town struggled with that. But, but here Jesus is like, look, find people that will find people that will be people of peace and, and tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Like they still need to hear about Jesus. They still, I, I believe would need to come to repentance, but this is like Jesus, go uh, Peter, uh, Jesus telling the disciples, go find some low-hanging fruit. <laughs> go find people that understand my word in some ways um, up to this point. And so. Yeah. And his first directive to them is to pray. Pray yeah. earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Yeah. So that's that's a command that we can take as well. And what we read here are things that we can do, but it doesn't mean we are to literally interpret this right. and start to go two by two into cities without staffs and cloaks and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it doesn't seem to be a repeated norm necessarily for the disciples. And so um, 
And then these woes that get pronounced, um, we get cities like Corazon, Bethsaida, Capernaum. If you pull them up on a map, they're all pretty close to each other. Um, and they're all they're all the north end of Galilee, just north of the sea, kind of the, the crowds where the Pharisees, where the schools of study of Torah, all this happened up in this area. Um, they are the people who should know it. And I think Jesus' statement here is, look, like if I were to go to Tyre and Sidon, like, the, the pagan cities of the coast, like they, and I were to do some of the stuff I've done there, they would, they would get it and they would repent. But you guys who should understand it don't. Um, and I think it's a pretty harsh condemnation. And, and very personally, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I know the word and I know what God says. And I know these truths and, and how much, how much worse would it be um, without repentance? Like if, I, if that doesn't lead me to repentance, oh, there's, there's, there's some, there's some warnings that should come with yeah. that, um, which we even see in a couple other times in Jesus's teaching in Luke. But but yeah, the weight of that, and then Jesus, um, the return of the seventy-two, who all come back all joy-filled and, and excited about what's going on, and rightfully excited. I mean, they they drove out demons, they they did these major major things. But then there's a greater miracle, um, that which is salvation. Yeah, I think um, it's we've got to remember the truest miracle is salvation. We want to see people healed. We want to see water turned into wine or whatever. And many of us have testimonies of seeing those experiences. But but the true miracle is that we have been delivered from eternal condemnation and death through the precious blood of Jesus spilled for us. Yeah, the greater miracle is what you couldn't see um, versus what you could. Um, we don't see our names written in heaven, but um, yeah, and so it's such a... Uh, an important teaching, even for Luke, who who plays up a lot of the miracles, a lot of the dynamics. Um, but yet the central piece to Jesus is look like, yes, those things are amazing. But the most amazing thing, the truest thing, the most important thing is your names are written in heaven. Yeah. So, and so the Psalms, Proverbs for the week, we have Psalm 93 and Psalm 89, or at least a portion of Psalm 89. So those of you that are reading along are like, why do we start halfway through? Um, we divided some of the longer Psalms up so you didn't have to read like three pages of a Psalm sometimes. Um, and then if there were themes or there were sections that, that tied into something from that previous week, uh, we tried to match it up with that. So don't freak out that it feels like, hey, what happened in the first 37 verses of this Psalm? So um, just go with it. Yeah, so Psalm 93, we see this really strong imagery of God's reign over all things, over creation, his eternal and movable throne. And it's really beautiful how the psalm ends, that he's trustworthy and holy. He's not distant God who holds power but um, and is unkind, but we can trust him with this power he holds. And then Psalm 89, we see a community lament. This is something, and we won't jump all the way into lament this time, even though I referenced it earlier. Um, it's honoring David as king, but it's lamenting the sin and the struggles that Israel is facing. Uh, so no matter how great David was, he was still imperfect, and we need a more perfect king to deliver us yep. and lead our kingdom. So next week, what should we look out for, Sarah? All right. So in the Joseph story, pay attention to the repetition. There's lots of repetition. See if you can find any themes, um, and then wait for the culmination of it all in Genesis 45. Yeah. And yeah. Then, oh, go ahead. Do you want me to say the New no, Testament? No, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In the New Testament, um, there's some challenging parts near the end of the week for this reading. There's a lot of comparing and contrasting in these passages for against who is blessed. Um, Jesus is compared to other prophets. Israel is compared to the people of Nineveh. See what truths you can pull out of the comparisons um, and the contrastings. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, um, 
Yeah, I, I mentioned it a little bit on this podcast, but like, yeah, where 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 does Reuben end up, and where does Judah end up, and 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 sort of the the redemption part of their stories, and 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 how do we see Jesus in someone like Judah, and how do we see Jesus in someone like Joseph? Um, I think those are going to be good questions. I, I, mm. We could have asked them now, but I think the real picture of Jesus and those characters comes out at, towards the tail end of the story. Um, and then look into the history of the Samaritans. Look into the history of some of the people that are mentioned in Luke. Um, Luke uses people that most of the ancient Jews would have not had a very fond view of as um, models in some of his stories, which uh, I think is pretty important and probably shocking for the audience that hears them. So that's it for this week. Um, we look forward to, to talking to you next week. Thanks Bye. guys. <laughs>